My name is Kevin Davies, and you are listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, The Real ESP Experience. listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how awesome and active the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 355. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Beckmann. See us, Stock. Hello. Hey, son. Hey, son. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, ha- oh, <clears throat> good day. <laughs> good day, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we've, we've learned a couple of uh, interesting expressions in the last uh, 10 days or so since we've been here. One, of, I think it's the most important if you want to sound Australian uh, that you need to learn the E at the end, end of the words. Like the, the, uh, it's, it's written IE, I believe. Last night, I learned a very important thing. So an electrician is called a sparky, right? So, uh, yeah. They're um, also tradies. Tradies and all, and all that. <laughs> so you guys are good. You guys, you guys are fun. Um, so thank you very much <laughs> for having us here. Uh, but uh, we've come across a couple of things. So we, we were hosted by lovely people in four different places before Canberra. Mm-hmm. What were those? Yeah, we started in Sydney. Yep. Then we went to Melbourne, yep. Brisbane, Gold Coast, oh my God. and now Canberra. We feel like rock stars. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Meet, we've been met by, not by limousines, but by very good service everywhere. People are taking so good care of us. Some of you are in the audience here today. So thank you very much. And there are two things by which you can actually tell that we are not rock stars. One of them is that we are much less loud. But Well, in Pontus and my case, yes. <laughs> okay yeah uh, yeah i occasionally burst out singing it's just i try not to do that here um but the other thing that, that we don't have a tendency to trash the places that that, that we visit so um I, i see a couple of the faces of the lovely people that that hosted us so i really hope that was the case so we mm. didn't, didn't leave too much of a mess behind us but we visited a couple of uh Museums as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, exactly. Great ones you've got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, for example, we went uh, to the museum in Melbourne. They had a really awesome fossil there that we saw. And we also went um, into the National Museum in Canberra, where we stumbled over something... Is it called Canberra? Canberra. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, where we stumbled over something really fascinating, and that is um, the connection of the Griffins, who pretty much designed... Canberra, Canberra, <laughs> okay. um, and their connection to anthroposophy. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's anthroposophy? Anthroposophy is the belief that Rudolf Steiner and the like, the Waldorf schools um, and like that, that they follow, and uh, it has something to do with um, special schooling, special teaching. Um, they also believe in reincarnation, and they also do like biodynamic agriculturing. So that means um, what they believe in is, for example, putting bull's horns into the ground and then everything would grow better. So that's just anthroposophy. And the interesting thing is that um, actually Claire stumbled over this uh, fact that the griffins were glowing anthroposophers. And we were wondering, hmm, like good, good skeptics, we formed a theory. Are the Griffins connected to anthroposophy? And did they design Canberra like that? Of course, that was a theory. We did a bit of research. And I found out that most, or like some of you probably know, that the design of Canberra from the Griffins that they won, that was put in 1913. And They only was, were introduced into anthroposophies in 1924. So we can say Canberra is not designed after anthroposophy, but because they were so, uh, they loved anthroposophy so much, they did um, bring a lot of that into Australia and they were like not, not the founding, founding people, but they laid a lot of foundation works for anthroposophies in Australia. So 
was still not, not well done <laughs> by them, but Canberra is not designed by that. Good. That's reassuring. Myth busted. Myth busted, yes. Show of hands. How many of you knew that? <gasps> oh, so all the others heard it from us. We're trying to be educational people. <laughs> uh, so you're welcome. Um, but uh, we, we have other things to talk about uh, this week. And um, uh, since this is a regular show, we should probably crack on with the, uh, the, the usual segments. Who knows what the first segment usually is? Twish. Twish. Yeah. <laughs> what does that stand for? That's correct. A plus. <laughs> Round of applause for Chris. For Chris. <laughs> He says Twitch, and that stands for This Week in Skeptical History. Hmm. So, correct. It, that's, that's also a thing that, that we hear very often here. Correct. Correct. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the, this week in skeptical history, we explore a couple of things that um, are um, historical from the skeptical point of view. And um, we have a very good one this week. 40 years ago today, in a country far, far away in Europe, a bunch of people came together because they were very unhappy about uh, all the pseudoscientific claims that they came across and that people were believing a lot of things that were just untrue and unscientific. So they decided to go and found an organization, an association that was there for science and public education, for communicating science and educating the public. So this was called Föreningen Vetenskap och Folkbildning. <laughs> so he sounded like a real expert, right? <laughs> and if that's so, it's because it was in Pontus's country, the Swedish organization that he's currently the president of was founded 40 years ago today. So we just like to refer to the organization as VOF because VOF. it's much easier to easier, say yeah. than or both Föreningen Vetenskap och Folkbildning. Love listening to you, but can't repeat it. So um, yeah. Happy birthday, VOF, and uh, may it go on for long and be as successful as humanly possible. Thank you on behalf of the organization. <laughs> we'll try to keep it going for a little while more. So, yeah, moving on to another segment, which is... Yes. Oh, oh, oh. The Pope. Heard we heard something about the Pope. <laughs> we like to call it PPP or Pontus Pokes, the Pope. Yes. Not like that. Oh. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Right, so um, uh, usually every week, or almost every week, I'll have a look into what the Pope is up to because he's doing... There's often interesting things, and sometimes he's up to shenanigans and, and no good. This week, there are new developments in what is called in the Vatican the trial of the century. For those who are not aware... This trial uh, concerns Cardinal Angelo Becciu, who stands on trial for alleged abuse of office, embezzlement and witness tampering and other things uh, like that. And that's the first time that a sitting cardinal, at least in modern times, have been trialed for crimes. The story is that between... Uh, Well, the background is that between 2011-2018, well, before he was a cardinal, Becciu was the so-called sustituto of the Pope, that's a substitute in Italian, but it translates uh, roughly to uh, chief of staff. So he is, uh, it's a very powerful position. It means you do a lot of things that the Pope doesn't have time to do himself, and you have more or less constant access to the Pope. Every other person has to stand in line for months before they can have an audience with the Pope, but the sustituto is there basically on a daily basis. Now, that's not criminal to be a sustituto, but during 2013, there was a real estate deal in London that the Vatican attempted to pull through. All of the things were signed by Betchu because that was his role at the time, But it, it went sour for some reason, and the Vatican allegedly lost around 200 million euro on this uh, real estate deal. It was really a, a scandal. They and still have enough. They, well, they, they can, I'm sure they can afford it, but it still was a, not a good thing, right? Yeah. So for almost, or I think a little bit more than 18 months now, the trial has been ongoing. 
and it's been characterized by lots of blunders and uh, what looks like sheer incompetence by the prosecution. The judge actually has several times had to tell the prosecution to go home and, and make do their homework because the papers that he has asked for or that they have handed in have been incomplete or, or faulty in different ways. And this week, that's the new thing, it looks like they messed up again. The background is that the, the, what we didn't know, which came out this week, was that Betu called Francis three days before the trial began, so one and a half years ago, and illegally recorded this um, telephone call. And what Betu apparently wanted to do was to get Francis to admit that Betu had only carried out what Francis wanted him to do. And that seems like a strange thing for the prosecution to bring up, because that would actually exonerate Betu in a way. And that is what, what, how they messed up. But what they tried to do was to, to put blame on Betu for trying to influence Francis in this trial. But I, I think this backfired totally. And now everybody said, well, actually, it seems like Frankie was in on the deal all along. So why are you prosecuting Betu and not Francis himself? And that is the big, that goes shows on the big problem of the legal system in the Vatican. Because the Pope is both the maker of laws and above the law. He's the, it's a dictatorship. He decides what goes and what doesn't go. So if he asks you to do something, and at the same time this is against the law, are you breaking the law or are you following the guy who tells you what to do? So Francis has waged a war, he has said, uh, on corruption. And uh, this corruption seems to have been done with his approval. So who can, who can blame people then? So by the way, sh I should also uh, acknowledge the, the Australian link here, because uh, it's not at all unlikely that uh, Cardinal George Pell, your favorite Australian of Tim Minchin fame, um, Cardinal, he may have had something to do on, uh, with this uh, getting uh, Betsy on trial, because Pell was appointed head of the Secretariat for the Economy in 2014, and he was tasked by Francis to get rid of corruption. So it's very likely that Pell dig, dug up this, these things about um, Betsu. And by the way, Betsu's crime allegedly is that he siphoned money out of this deal and, and had it been paid to relatives or close associates of him. So Pell wanted to go through that. But then the problem was that uh, Pell was, shall we call it, distracted by other business, and he sort of disappeared from the, from the scene for a couple of years. And uh, now he's sort of back. I think he's still in Australia. I don't know if he has official duties with uh, the Vatican, but he's still a cardinal. Anyway, it is also clear that Betsu and Pell are not fond of each other. They have criticized each other uh, publicly several times, which is also unusual for, for cardinals to do that. Anyway, the whole thing is to highlight that maybe the Vatican isn't as perfectly run as you would expect from uh, a country led by God. Uh, they, are, uh, <laughs> they are having issues, and even if you would say that Francis is a relatively benevolent uh, dictator, I think dictatorships do not really work. Well, right. at least not um, after a certain amount of time and when the structure starts to collapse. But uh, unfortunately, for a while, they do work. Uh, one thing that doesn't work, though, uh, is what I'm going to be talking about in the segment that we just simply call the news. So um, this, is, this is about two weeks old. Uh, this uh, piece of news, uh, but um, it's cause for optimism when it comes to fighting uh, pseudoscientific claims and especially quackery. So quackery is a special field, uh, obviously, that refers to medicinal actions that are not based on uh, evidence and they are, they are not legally right. I mean, they should not be pursued because of either lacking the evidence or uh, lacking the right certifications. So according to a lot of skeptics, uh, homeopathic products uh, fall into that category, right? 
And uh, in most of Europe, um, unfortunately, I have to say that most of Europe accepts homeopathic products as medicinal products. So they are in the register of, of uh, medicinal products of um, a lot of countries, but uh, that means that uh, they can um, be there without evidence of uh, efficacy. And um, there is one thing that they have to bear in mind, that they are not allowed to offer any medicinal indications as to what it should be used for. So it's like a general use, uh, what they are allowed to uh, offer. But the manufacturers and marketers of these products, obviously, they want you to use it for a specific ailment. So this is uh, what happened with a German uh, a man manufacturer that is called Meditonsin. You can probably overhear a couple of uh, familiar words like uh, medicine and tonsils. Uh, so those are supposed to be working for different cold symptoms. But that is part of their advertising as well. However, the fact that they are homeopathic products is not. So there is a bit of a mess there. And uh, there was a case in, um, uh, that, that was raised by the Consumer Advice Center of uh, the German state of North Rhine-Westphalia. And uh, they raised this uh, complaint because the manufacturer didn't actually provide evidence to that the, the product has any kind of effect of the release of symptoms. So that resulted in a court case, and the regional court of Dortmund uh, decided that uh, they will, uh, from now onwards, they will prohibit the manufacturer from advertising false health claims. So... I just checked the website, it's still there. So even though there, is a court, there was a court decision that prohibited them uh, more than two weeks ago, uh, action was not taken on this decision. So it's still there, it's, it, they are still offering it for those symptoms. So um, this is the kind of fight that uh, we, we are going through each day, especially in Germany when homeopathy yeah. is pretty big. As Annika put it, very eloquently, a couple of days ago. We invented that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, that's um, just reporting on an actual case that is still going on. And uh, the, the actual uh, evidence that they presented was like a short, they claimed that it was a large scale study because there were a thousand people involved. But uh, there were no controls whatsoever in the study. But for a case study, it's mildly acceptable, but still doesn't prove anything, really. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we will try to keep an eye on what's going on with the meditonsin, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, they are still at it. But the interesting thing is, and that also shows how important skeptical activism is, that before I entered the skeptical movement, um, I didn't know that meditonsin is homeopathic. I just thought it's a, a remedy to, to take when you have a cold. Yeah. So there you can see that uh, it's really like hidden, um, <laughs> that you, like you don't see that it's homeopathic. They don't say, oh, it's a homeopathic remedy. They say, this is a remedy to, for your cold. So that just shows how important it is what we're doing. Yeah. Well, how many of you participated in the 2011 uh, homeopathic challenge, uh, the overdose challenge here in Australia? Well done. Really good. So uh, that was the kind of campaign when we, we, we tried to uh, educate the, the, the public into the fact that it's not, it's not just natural products. It's not, it's, it's not herbal products. It, 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 there is basically nothing in it. And... Uh, it was surprising how many people did not know that beforehand. Mm. So, yeah. All right. Moving on. Moving on to Russia. Oh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> on the uh, 24th of November, the Russian Duma, which is the parliament, took yet another, another step against LGBTQ rights. And with this new law, citizens who promote what the Duma calls, quote, the propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations, end quote, could be fined up to 400,000 rubles, that's 6,600 uh, US dollars. Organizations who do the same could be fined up to 82,000 US dollars. If you are a foreign national, you can now be sentenced to uh, up to uh, 15 days in jail and then deportation. So human rights groups and activists say that this extension of the law means that 
any act or public mention of same-sex relationships is functionally being outlawed. It basically turns out you cannot no longer even say the word homosexual or something like that or gay in, in Russia. That is now dangerous. And bizarrely, the war on LGBTQ rights is linked not only to religiosity, which you may have, could expect, but also to another war, the war against Ukraine. Uh, Patriarch Kirill, well, I call him Putin's Pope, so he's the arch, uh, yeah, he's the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, and he's a very close buddy to, to Putin. Uh, he has brought up gay parades in Ukraine as a justification of this war. Uh, if you don't know, Kirill is a great proponent for this war. He's basically, uh, what, what did Francis call him? Putin's altar boy? <laughs> Uh, and that's, that's a pope calling you that. Then, then you're not um, on the right side, I think. Anyway, uh, uh, Putin himself has called the promotion of gay and trans transgender rights in Europe as an act of, quote, moving towards open Satanism, end quote. So very much loaded with uh, religiosity, nonsense, uh, at least in the propaganda. I, I, we don't know what Putin really thinks uh, in private, and maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, he could. <laughs> Give me open Satanism over Putin anytime. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. But as a positive surprise, we're talking about uh, gay rights, LGBTQ rights, and how they are threatened all over the place, especially in, in Russia, uh, Eastern Europe, I think, uh, also in the US. But the positive surprise from, is actually from the, U, from the US, and you may have seen the, the good news there. Uh, the so-called, quote, respect for marriage act, end quote, was passed in the Senate, I think it was last week. And this is very important because Clarence Thomas of the U.S. Supreme Court has openly declared that the, this conservative activist uh, Supreme Court that they have now there, that they were going to look into over, overturning Obergefell v. Hodges, which is a uh, Supreme Court decision in 2015, which in effect made same-sex marriage legal in, in all of the US, U.S. And now they're looking at into removing that. So this law is Biden's way and the, the Democrats' way to try to mitigate that or to, to move against that. And they got uh, in the Senate, they got uh, quite a few, enough Republican support to pass it, and that's good news. Uh, but the thing is that this new law doesn't do all the things that um, Obergefell did. It uh, only forces all states to recognize already married couples and marriages done in other states or who, marriages that was uh, performed before a Burgeville was overturned. And it's not about just about uh, same-sex marriages, it's also about interracial marriages. Funnily, or strangely enough, Mitch McConnell, which we all know, I hope, uh, the leader of the, uh, of the Republicans in the Senate, he voted against this, and he's married to an Asian woman. I think that's a very strange way to ask for a divorce. But uh, fine. But anyway, there's some good news uh, in this area uh, coming from US, of all places. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> we need something more lighthearted now, I think. Yes. How about witches? Witches? <laughs> Which witches? <laughs> How about a sandwich? No. No, we're talk not talking about food because we just had food. Um, we talk about actual witches and witchcraft beliefs in Europe and around the world. There's a new study out by Boris Gershman, and he wanted to deepen the understanding of witchcraft belief. So he compiled a new data set capturing beliefs of more than um, 140,000 people from 95 countries and territories. And yeah, that was actually a very interesting finding because over 40% of survey participants said that they believe that, quote, certain people can cast curses or spells that cause bad things to happen to someone, end quote. 40% believe that. 40%. <laughs> um, of course, it's differing between um, countries and within world regions, also within the country. So, for example, um, we have 9% of participants from Sweden believing that. So 9%, 13 um, from Germany, and compared to that 90%, so 90% uh, in Tunisia. 
So there's a big difference from the, from the countries, and it's also there's also a big difference um, within the population, because, for example, religious people believe um, into witchcraft more than atheists. Um, the data here is mostly focused on Christian and Muslim populations, so they didn't really get many surveys done in China, India, or um, in. East and Southeast Asia. So we can't really say like, though we captured the whole world. But it's something like, I'm, I'm sorry, I wanted to do something lighthearted, but witchcraft, we laugh about that because for us in Germany, in Australia, we're like, haha, yeah, well, of course, going on your broom, you know? So where is Australia in that chart? That's a good question. <laughs> I will do my research and I'll, I'll add that into the show notes. <laughs> Okay, yep. you know what? I, I've got an idea. We do a survey here <laughs> mm. and then publish it. <laughs> and we can claim that Australia is... Oh, oh, let, let's do the survey do, do first. Do the survey first, So yeah. how many of you believe that people can cast a spell on another person, something that we also call witchcraft? Show of hands. <laughs> Just for the sake of it. Because <laughs> okay, 0% okay, of Australians believe in witchcraft. So I think uh, we have publishable material. Uh, that we, <laughs> we did the research. So Australians do not believe in witchcraft at all. It's close to 0%. Um, yeah, um, I mean, the prevalence we, of it. This, this study uh, absolutely lives up to the standards of any homeopathic uh, <laughs> investigation. So, oh. Exactly. Okay, exactly. congratulations, no one <laughs> believes in witchcraft. <laughs> um, yeah, but of course, in, in other countries that can have real um, implications, uh, there are like witch hunts on, on children um, in, in Nigeria, for example, so like it can have really bit bad outcomes. Whereas like in Germany, people are like, oh yeah, that's fascinating. How, where does that come from? That's oh, cool. maybe where we believe in it. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's just put all our gemstones in the garden to let them cleanse by the moon and stuff like that. So yeah. like, yeah, so we, we just find it fascinating. Um, but I find it still very interesting how many people believe that. Yeah. Hmm. Do we know if the Vatican is included in that story? <laughs> <laughs> because well, we all know that. They um, probably all believe in it. The, the Pope is a great... <laughs> believer? Uh, no, an exorcist. <laughs> everything. A great exorcist. Oh. He's, he's a chief exorcist of the... The, the Catholic Church. And he probably believes so, in witchcraft. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's our theory. Kind of implied. <laughs> All right, so... Speaking of things that people should no longer believe in. Yeah, okay. How about that? <laughs> uh, here at the convention yesterday, we heard about pseudo-archaeology so, um, and ancient astronauts. And that's something that, me, in my innocence, I thought that was just a fun thing. Uh, something that had been discarded a long time ago and nobody took seriously anymore. That's not true. I was wrong. There are a few guys out there who are happily going uh, von Daniken's footsteps. Uh, by the way, how many here know that von Daniken is still alive? One, two, oh, there's a third maybe of the... Of the I, I thought he was dead and gone for a long time ago, but he's still alive. Move, move to Sirius. Oh, right. Yeah, and he has... Um, uh, he still publishes books. He published a book last year called... Uh, I'll take a deep breath here. Confessions of an Egyptologist, Lost Libraries, Vanished Labyrinths, and the Astonishing Truth Under the Saqqara Pyramids, end quote. He's living on another planet. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> on another planet, yeah. Personally, I prefer book titles that are less than 14 words, but that's just me. <laughs> anyway, the, the concept that von Däniken made popular in the late 60s with his book Chariots of the Gods is still alive and well, and one of the proponents was also mentioned last uh, yesterday. That's Graham Hancock, British author, believer in these things, who, among other things, has books published called Fingerprints of the Gods, Magicians of the Gods, in true von Däniken style. The news now is that Netflix has jumped on the bandwagon. They have a new series called Ancient Apocalypse out. I think it's an eight-episode um, documentary, quote-unquote, totally created to give Hancock free reigns to spread his nonsense. And the, I'll just a few examples. The first episode is described as, quote, in his quest to find traces of an advanced lost civilization of the Ice Age, 
Host Graham Hancock travels to Indonesia to investigate a megalithic pyramid that appears to date back to the last ice age when the island of Java was part of a great landmass known as Sundaland. Uh, the second episode is described as Graham's quest takes him to Mexico's ancient pyramids to explore the tradition of Quetzalcoatl, the living, the, the civilizing hero who showed up after the great flood. So he's mixing his different myths here to teach humanity the way of civilization, end quote. And so on. I won't read all of, all of them, but the show is filled with and based on conspiracy theories. Basically, he tra travels from place to place, points at strange uh, objects or uh, things that are there, and he says something like, well, the official explanation of this pyramid is X, but actually that's only what they want you to think. So, and um, you may wonder how Netflix could approve uh, such nonsense. I, I know a lot of TV producers don't, are not very particular with the truth. But, um, but in this case, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that Hancock's son is the senior manager of unscripted originals at Netflix. But that is a conspiracy <laughs> theory that I can uh, believe in. <laughs> yeah, but now you, you, we mustn't forget that Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop Lab also got the green light and it, it was a very popular show. Yeah, so um, how many of you uh, know what, what nationality is Eric von Deniken? Swiss, yeah. So we're very proud of our European uh, pseudoscientists, uh, Deniken, Graham Hancock, and the like. All right, but uh, there is another thing that uh, currently concerns Europe, but probably the whole world, and that is the madness of just one man who paid $44 billion uh, to buy himself into Twitter uh, just to destroy it. Uh, and as an aside... He also lost about $100 million of worth in his Tesla uh, stock by selling them and dumping the price of the Tesla stock. So he basically paid $144 million, billion, billion dollars for something that maybe was worth 25 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but um, what concerns every one of us as skeptics, that's uh, a thing that uh, recently it was announced that uh, Twitter will get rid of uh, basically all the policies that are banning content or banning people. Uh, so Elon Musk goes on and off and on and off about who's going to get, get their, uh, their uh, Twitter handles back and who, who won't. But um, this is very concerning because the most important topics and contents that were basically banned from t Twitter for a long, long time are those that were deemed uh, COVID-19 related misinformation. And uh, those, uh, when misinformation can spread without any checks on the content itself, uh, that is very concerning. But fortunately, we have something in the European Union that is called European Union's Digital Services Act. And uh, the main goal of that is, of course, the protection of the consumers, those who go online and uh, find the content and uh, go buy it. So now they are threatening, basically, the Twitter with the regulative stops and bannings and restrictions uh, to the services if they don't adhere to the rules of the European Union. So we just need to see and find how it works out eventually. But I think this is a good direction. And these are the moments when it's, it feels really good to be a European because the European Union, with the contribution of all the, the countries and the experts from the different countries, they tend to work for the, the proper control of things. And I'm not saying that we should censor information, but the fact-checking and the, the, the different companies, private companies that have to obey the rules uh, of Europe, um, they have to be held up to that. So uh, if Twitter is not willing to do that because of the owner uh, and his, uh, the, the owner's preferences, then uh, we just have to, have to see it go. And it's happening, <coughs> actually. So <coughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. S some bad news again. Yeah, bring that to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we've always been following the, the, the development of measles and measles epidemics uh, ever since we started this show. And, uh, well, of course, we've had other pandemics to, to worry about for a while. But always in the background has been the threat of uh, measles coming back again, not also due to the pandemic, because a lot of the vaccination programs got stopped or delayed or 
in, were hindered by the pandemic. And the war. Yeah, and the war. But uh, we, we see now that on 24th of November, the WHO and the CDC released a joint report. And they showed that the number of measles cases worldwide increased 20% between 2020 and 2021. Uh, so that's a, a total of 9 million cases uh, last year. The number of deaths from measles, and yes, you all know that here, but a lot of people do not know that. Measles can be deadly. The number of deaths from measles doubled to 128,000 uh, cases in 2021. So we still need to fight that, those measles uh, and uh, make sure that the vaccination programs get back on track. The one threat does not go away just because we face something else that is worse. Yeah, well said. All right, uh, we are moving on to some other segments, and that is uh, the, basically the last one. And that is when we find out who's been really wrong lately. Yes, and this actually ties in really well with the talk I gave yesterday. Um, because Equat reported that five NHS trusts currently offer moxibustion, which is tra uh, traditional Chinese medicine, to women in childbirth if they have breech babies. That means babies um, that are upside down. Sh should we clarify that NHS in the UK? NHS in the UK, Which yeah. is the National Health Service. Yeah, no, in the UK. And moxibustion is, yeah, as I said, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, where mugwort is burned close to acupuncture points. Yeah. What? <laughs> so it's, it's like even removed from acupuncture. Trying to imagine the whole mm -hmm. situation. Here the idea is that, the, that this would stimulate the acupuncture points um, similar to the needle insertion um, that's usually done at the fifth toe because it's the best point apparently for breach presentation i got told before by a midwife that the whole foot is is the, is the uterus basically and the fifth toe apparently seems to be the one that can turn the baby around um Who we knew? don't know how to so do if, that, if, you, if you keep <laughs> applying the needles to the same place then the baby will just just yes. rotate <laughs> around like rotate like, like a propeller yeah, it, yeah it like a washing machine wow. yeah. yeah it would uh, <laughs> will turn into the perpetuum mobile <laughs> It will be awesome, exactly. Thanks for Carousel. providing the Don't whole family with energy. No, but yeah. um, mm -hmm. yes. <clears throat> but the thing is, these NHS trusts offer that. They also offer reflexology, aromatherapy uh, to, to cause induction with delayed pregnancies. And 15 NHS trusts offer hypnobirthing classes. At the same time, some women are still asked to pay £140 or more for it. So that's a lot of money. And the problem is that that all doesn't work, you know. <laughs> and the, um, the NHS, that means that the NHS is, is spending public money. The, and the taxpayer's it. money is being spent on yes. nonsense. Exactly. And they also give it cre uh, credence by, yeah, yeah. by supporting yeah, yeah. it. So for really supporting these traditional Chinese medicines, the NHS of the UK receives this week's prize for being really wrong. And I think, yeah, it's deserving more like a boo, I think. So, three, two, one. Boo. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so, but uh, to add to something to that is that the NHS has been getting rid of the funding for homeopathy in the last eight or ten years. So, that was a, a welcome thing to see. And then, there's this other thing coming up. So one uh, can, cannot help but think of James Randi, who said that uh, everything that we do is like the, um, the unsinkable rubber duck that keeps popping up his ugly head all the time. We, we push it down and it comes back somewhere else. So yeah, this is, this is what we do. So that brings us to the end of our show. And uh, I think we should do a quote before we open the floor for questions. So, as usual, we would like to say goodbye with a quote. Annika. Yes, and this week's quote is by French author Jules Verne, or as you know him, Jules Verne. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, born 1828 and died 1905. He wrote amazing books that I, I got to know through Back to the Future, actually. <laughs> mm -hmm, okay. That was my introduction to his books. But um, 
I want to show you the quote now. And the what quote, does it say? Yeah, the quote is, You cannot oppose reasoning to pride, the principle of all the vices, since, by its very nature, the proud man refuses to listen to it. Hmm. Very good. <laughs> There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> At the Australian Skeptics National Convention, uh, we are st uh, standing next to a, um, a table on top of which there is um, an interesting pyramid like structure. Uh, here with me is Tim Mendham, the executive officer of Australian Skeptics Inc. Uh, hi, Tim. Hi there. How did you. So, first of all, what's that, what we see there? It's obviously a mystical pyramid built by aliens. No, <laughs> it is our Ben Spoon Award, which is the award we give every year to the perpetrator of the most preposterous piece of paranormal piffle. Now, I don't know if you know piffle. It's rubbish, <laughs> right? So, yeah. So it is built, it looked like a ziggurat, right? Because it started off being quite small one year. As we went on with all the other years, it had to get bigger and bigger. So we add extra layers to it. It's getting very heavy now because it is actually, it's hard to get because it's made out of gopher wood from Noah's Ark. And the, it's got a spoon on top, which has been bent personally by Yuri Geller. From a distance, though. He wasn't there at a distance. And it's all screwed down with a Phillips head screw, which is ancient Phillips head screw. So, uh, yes, it's been going since 1982. So, yeah, 1982. And, and there are uh, little um, g uh, gold-looking plaques on, on the side of this. So what are those? Gold-looking is <laughs> yeah, little bronze plaques with everyone's name who, who, as they won it. So we add, add them on around, the, around the, the, the levels of this ziggurat. And as I said, starting in 1982, every year since then, except for one year, which was 1988, when nothing happened, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> only nothing happened. But, I mean, yeah, so we've been adding to it. We've got some celebrities on there. We've obviously got people from the old days that people can't remember who they were, who they passed away or whatever, or they're minor celebrities. But uh, we've got some pretty big names in Australia from Australian perspective. One of the biggest names is a guy named Pete Evans who was promoting, he's a chef, or ex-chef, who was promoting uh, the paleo diet, which I believe is everywhere. And he got involved in alternative treatments, uh, all sorts of weird things. He was recommending people stare at the sun in the morning to help their eyes, believe it or not. Weird. And he was putting out books and all this sort of advice for people because he's a nice-looking guy, charming, you know, a bit like you, right? Yeah. So, nice thanks for comparing us. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Looks only, mate. <laughs> But uh, he was these recipe books and things, and suddenly he had this recipe for babies, like Luna here, right, to give them bone broth. Now, bone broth is deadly to kids. So, and suddenly people said, whoa, 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 you're not a harmless little sort of guy pushing a, a few vitamin pills or even staring at the sun. But uh, what, so his publisher dropped him, the book publisher. They said, you're not going to put that book out. We're not going to put the book out because uh, it's, it's dangerous. Other people suddenly realised he's not as benign sort of character, charming, you know, as we think he is. And he's actually, he's a bit of a strange person. And he's gone increasingly off the edge as he's gone along. And he's the only person to have won our Ben Spoon twice. So he's a bit of a celebrity. He won it first a few years ago for this bone broth thing. And then two years ago, he won it for um, uh, selling a equipment that would cure COVID, which was basically looked like a lava lamp with a few colored tubes around the outside. It was, you could program it to treat different illnesses and things. And he was selling those for $15,000 each. So he was taken to court over that. He was sort of charged. And they fined him $25,000, which was nothing. He could sell two of those and make his money back. So, but he's won twice. Um, I think being a chef, he rather enjoyed getting the bent spoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that never even occurred to me. Yeah. And who, who won this year? This year it was a, a lesser-known person, but uh, someone that we believe really deserved it. And, you know, we, every year we open the, the prizes up to the public to nominate people. Uh, within libelous <laughs> controls and things like that. Um, and it has to be someone who's done something this year, right, in the year of the event. Um, so, and then the various sceptical committees vote on that list and decide who's won. And this year it was a woman from Queensland mm -hmm. who has a doctorate in some area, but she started treating people as if she was a doctor, right? So she has a doctorate, but not in medicine. 
So from doctor to medical doctor, she was charged with various things. In court, her lawyer suggested she might have been confused. <laughs> or she didn't know she wasn't, wasn't well, a medical doctor. doctor. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Funny that. But she was selling, um, giving people COVID vaccine exemption forms. You know, you got medical exemptions for all vaccines and things like that. So she was selling these to people. Uh, she sold 1,200 of them. And she, apparently she pocketed about $120,000. So she was taken to court. Uh, the fine could have been $60,000 or three years in prison, but instead she was fined $25,000 and no conviction recorded. So, she's in the, so we don't know what happened to the rest of the $120,000 after the 25 was taken back. So she was announced the winner at our convention, at the convention dinner, and got a very great rousing boo <laughs> from the audience <laughs> who totally disagreed with you know, this horrible person. Yeah, so... Uh, Totally agree. Uh, how much publicity do um, these these ceremonies get? It depends on the person, quite frankly. You know, you, you think of the media and who they, they like to hear a name. So Pete Evans, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I did about 20, 30 interviews on the radio myself, all about it. So Pete Evans being popular, in quotes, you know, sort of got a publicity. I don't think that this lady's going to get a lot, right? But she'll get some. She'll get some mentions. We always send out a press release and things like that. So, you know, some... Times we do, from our point of view, from a publicity point of view, we do well. But that's not the main reason. The main reason is to find people who deserve to be dishonoured in that way. We do have our positive awards. I know you guys in Europe have positive awards and things like that too. So life membership, we give awards to Skeptic of the Year, we give awards to someone in the community, not necessarily a Skeptic, who's done good work. We give awards to the media. This is really the only negative award, but this is the one that everyone looks forward to. They enjoy but it's been, it's a very, have you picked it up? Yeah, yeah, I tried. I tried. Um, you you did uh, warn us not to, Aponsama and myself, we did try it, and you did warn us not to lift it by, by the spoon yeah, because it was. Lifted it by the spoon because people, people have lifted it by the spoon before, uh, which is why we now have a Phillips screw tight into the, into the woodwork, actually. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's not for lifting. It's not like a suitcase. But it is heavy, it is very valuable. And of course, whenever I travel interstate, I have to have a separate chair on the plane, right, to put it in, right? It, it, it has its naps and, things, and it gets the food, everything like that. It doesn't always like the movies, but I mean, it's... A uh, just one more thing then. Um, you are the executive uh, officer of uh, Australian Skeptics Inc. What does that entail? Everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, what we, we would call the dog's body, in a way. But everything from fronting up to media such as yourself and uh, everything like that to administering the organization i do the magazine edit the magazine i'm a journalist by training so that's that follows naturally all the bookkeeping i do the accounts i talk to people on the phone people are interested people who are sad whatever so i talk to all sorts of different people um, it, it is an interesting concept that people talk about a convention like this being preaching to the converted right well it's two days of that And I preached to the unconverted for the next 363 days. So there's a lot of dealing with the public that I do. And, you know, some of the public are pretty cynical about the sceptics. Some want to know. We have a $100,000 challenge to anyone who can uh, do a particular paranormal or psychic skill. And that's genuine, real money. And uh, we've had about 200 people apply. For, uh, we had lots of people apply for it. And most of them pull out when they realise they have to do a test. How many did actually get tested? About 200. Oh. Yeah. Most of them are water diviners, which is big in Australia. You know, dowsing. Uh, water diviners, because we've got a lot of outback area, dry area, so people finding water in, in boreholes or whatever. That's, that's a big thing. So, and they're lovely people. They're all genuine. They all believe they can do it. And maybe in the field they can do it when they can see what the land looks like in a likely place. But when we've tested them, they've all failed. Did they occasionally claim that uh, it was because of the presence of the skeptics that uh, they, their powers didn't work well? Yeah, skeptical shyness, yeah. yeah they, they, they claim everything. I mean, sort of we, in those tests, we always make sure they're happy with the environment, with the setup. You know, they, they are dousing for a bit of water in a, in a bottle or something like that, or a bit of sand in the bottle. Can they tell the difference? When they can see what it is, they can do it perfectly. You put a cover over it, still the same thing, they can do it perfectly. When they walk away and you sort of do it by chance and everything, they fail. Well, they get 50-50, right? Which is what the odds would be. And then they find the reasons why, oh, there's water running underneath here, or there's water still underneath here, or the sky was funny, or there's a bit of someone walking past with a watch or something, whatever. All sorts of weird reasons that they then, that didn't exist when they were doing the tests, 
And when the trials actually happened, they would find all sorts of excuses. That's what, in the very first, the skeptics started with a water divining test that a local entrepreneur, millionaire, brought out James Randi to Australia. 1980, who set up this water divining test, and halfway through it, this entrepreneur, Dick Smith, said to Randy, we've got to stop. They're all failing. Right? They'll be ruined. And Randy said, don't worry. Get them three hours. And after the tests were over, they had found excuses for why they didn't work. So they're very inventive, these people. Psychics we've done, hand readers, perpetual motion machines, mm. all sorts of different, different things, actually. The psychics are fun because they don't like being tested. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. Um, but um, they could, they, we could, we could try and find an I answer with with the help of a psychic. Um, but uh, there's there's lots of um, the magazines put out here. I've uh, I've um, skimmed through a couple of them. Uh, pretty good stuff there. Oh, it's so yeah, con- congratulations on great great <laughs> We've been going since 1981. We're the second oldest English language skeptical magazine in the world. The Skeptical Enquirer got in a few, uh, a few months, a few years before us, actually. So we've been going for a long, long time. And, uh, yeah, we're pretty proud of that uh, heritage, actually. So uh, how many subscribers does the magazine have? We have about 1,500, uh, which is not, not a huge number. We'd obviously like a lot more. But we distribute it worldwide. Uh, we have hard copy editions. We have a digital edition of the same thing. So we're very happy to take, take new subscribers from your audience. So please do. They can go to our website, skeptics.com.au, go to the shop, and they can subscribe from there and find out all about what this is, the second oldest English-language skeptical publication in the world. Okay, I'm finally... We, we are here at the National Library of Australia, a wonderful venue, I, I think, and the event was as well, uh, and very enjoyable. I've, I've, I've loved this weekend. Um, but how much did you get involved with uh, the actual organisation of the event? We've been, we've been holding conventions every year since the mid-'80s. Every year we insist on doing that, so that's a pretty good uh, result. It moves around the country. So a different uh, sceptic group will organise it from year to year. Uh, this one's organised by the Canberra sceptics. My involvement has more been sitting in on meetings and helping them, giving them some advice and giving some background, also some uh, sort of behind-the-scenes help with doing various things that I can. We processed all the bookings through me. So, you know, so that was because we had the shop on our website, so that worked out well. But we basically leave it to the local groups, and they've done a good job, despite a lot of hassles on the way, like... Fear of nuclear war, minor things like that, or COVID, <laughs> or COVID, or things like that, which is, has certainly uh, made life difficult for them, actually, and uh, has caused a lot of problems. But they've done a great job. The library is, is brilliant. The, the, the theatre is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the food is good upstairs, actually. And Canberra's a funny place. Canberra's the capital of Australia. It's a designed city. Some people say it's the best working design city, like as opposed to Brasilia or something like that. Very spacious. Very spacious, and it was designed by an American and his wife, and they designed it on an Art Deco basis. If you look at the map, it goes triangular, and everything sort of worked out, and they created the lake in the middle of it. So these buildings, especially in this area of Canberra, are spaced well apart. There's a science museum, an art gallery, this National Library, all sorts of things. And each building is you know, architect design, and it looks, looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Okay, so it's been a lovely uh, ten, w- ten days, two weeks. Uh, so it's well, quick, isn't it? It's, you've done a lot in that period of time. Yeah, thanks uh, in most part to you and, um, and, and your whole organization. So uh, thank you very much for having us. And I'm really hoping that um, t- it's not going to be too long before we see each other again at some point, at some event. I'd look forward. Just invite me over to your next conference in Europe. Okay, we are currently at the post-convention uh, pub meeting, <laughs> where there's there's a couple of people sitting outside, and I'm here with uh, Kevin Davis, who is a chief organizer of the uh, the event and uh, the president of Canberra Skeptics. So, what do you think, Kevin? How do you feel now? I need a beer. I've got one right here. Cheers. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, it was a very, very good convention. It was, I thought the talks were fantastic quality. A lot of things, different, a lot of different topics. We covered everything from GMOs and food security to science fiction and um, military uh, security professionals. You had Claire's talk. There was a, a real range of talks, which I think is Im- important because, for me personally, I think. 
we need to expand the importance of critical thinking to matters such as security, because it it matters, as everybody in Europe now knows. You have to think critically about matters involving your security, even if it's an ugly decisions. You still have to think about them importantly and critically because the consequences can be so severe. Yeah, and I really appreciated the, the chance to talk about uh, politics as well because that, that is also a field that we should hardly ever yeah. talk about and it's very important to all of us. Yes, well, I think it's policy. I think people get worried about the, the picking a side or picking a party is probably a better term. Yeah. And we shouldn't do that. Skepticism should be apolitical in that sense. But matters concerning policy, um, that's vital. That's vital. And the more science and critical thinking that goes into shaping policy of any sort, anywhere at any time, is essential. Because, again, the consequences of getting it wrong. Getting back to, to, to the actual convention, uh, were you happy with the turnout? Uh, so can you tell uh, how many people were there? So it was roughly 100 in person, and then I think about 40 to 50 live streams. So all things considered, very, very good, because we've had so many changes this year. I mean because of the post-COVID situation it's not post-COVID, it's still there but that's, it's still a a fear some people are willing to accept the risk and others can't but then we had the live streaming which really helped those who either didn't want to go uh, in person or or couldn't for one reason or another so it's I think it's made it clear that in future all conferences and conventions are probably going to have to be the both the both. Yeah, the, the hybrid is, is, is getting more popular and I, I think it works. And I, I was quite surprised to see so many people yeah. in the room. I mean, It was a, a really large room, yeah. very good venue, good yeah. choice of venue as well. Uh, so uh, we've had a fantastic time and, and we I can't tell you how grateful we are that, that, that you guys invited us. It was a delight to have all of you. All your talks were fascinating and I'm glad you got to see not all the country, not as much of the country as I'm sure you'd have liked to have seen, but you, you got to see some very great things while you're here. You got to meet some very, very great Australians, and I'm glad that you had, were treated so well and you've had such a great time. Uh, we certainly had, and and it it was uh, brilliant. And every everywhere we went, we we met the loveliest people. So uh, we have, yeah. I'm I'm not saying this is a scientific scientific survey, but um, we drew the conclusion that Australians are generally very lovely people. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I look forward to returning to Europe again in in future. There's so much of Europe that I want to see, so much history I want to learn. So I can't wait to get back to Europe soon. I can't wait for that to happen as well, because I would, I would be glad to, to show you around if I can. Uh, okay, Kevin, so thank you very much. I'll, I'll leave you to it. You have your beer uh, to have and uh, lots, lots of conversations, I believe. Yes. But again, thank you very much for a fantastic event. And thank you for coming down. And to all our European listeners, please come to Australia. Come visit us. We want, we want you to come down. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll see you around. See you around. Thank you very much. So I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, uh, for joining me today. And uh, we are very glad that so many of you came to see us uh, do the show, uh, as, as we say it in, Hung- in Hungary, see how the sausage is made. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> so thank you, thank you very much for that. Uh, and this will be going out next week on Friday. So thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. If you, do, if you don't, then please subscribe. And uh, hope to see you again soon. But until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. 
join us again next time. But until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe